Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. What's shaking, hey, everybody? Hey. hey, everyone. So this week, we're going to continue on with our series of our uh, read-through of Invincible. Uh, you know, uh, we're we're entering year nine of in the, the saga of Invincible, and... Um, yeah, if you've uh, already if you've been keeping up with us, then you've got a general idea of what the backstory is for the character and what we've been doing. Um, but you know, if if you're just jumping in for the first time, yeah, we've just been following this series by Robert Kirkman and uh, well, Drew, can you give us the uh, the credits behind it? Yeah. So in this episode, we're covering Invincible issues. 97 to 108 in the trade paperbacks that's volumes 18 and 19 or volume 9 of the deluxe hardcover as always invincible is written by robert kirkman these issues were all penciled by ryan otley and he inked issues 107 and 108 and the other issues were inked by cliff rathburn the colorist is john rouch and russ wooten is the letterer so we're picking up uh right after where we left off last month uh with invincible and one of the things i remember us spending a good amount of time talking about in our last episode uh, in our last invincible episode was how that particular chunk of issues in year eight gave us uh the conundrum of whether the needs of the many out weigh the needs of the few mm. and I, I saw some of that continued here in in these issues as well but there's also a few other uh big big ideas or, or themes and, and plot points that that we can cover too so where do you want to start albert um i mean i guess we should uh like i don't know like do you think we should give a brief description of what uh, what actually happened in this year, or do you want to just jump right into just the ideas behind it? Or uh, I guess we can give a, a brief description of what happened. I mean, this issue. I mean, th- these is- these issues uh, continue with uh, Bulletproof as he was playing the role of Invincible, uh, and his his parents. Uh, kind of figure out his identity and re- really early on in the first issue of this set it's how the story starts yeah, right in yeah there's, a, there's as a he's big thing that happens revealing his uh his tragic backstory <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and mark uh regains his powers continues his dealings with dinosaurus as dinosaurus is as dinosaurus uses his scientific his mad scientist abilities to you know basically try and make the world a better place by killing a bunch of people yeah because you know that's that's how it works yeah i mean what is science for if not to wipe out large chunks of life yeah that's the only way to preserve life by killing life yeah exactly (laughs) you know it's the scientific law just like yeah like one plus one equals two you know yeah mc squared you know yeah Killing you people so means that, that I you're may saving live. people. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, like, science. Like, yeah, it, it's just like <laughs> Albert's 
Albert's philosophy that he developed in last month's episode when he discovered this this irrefutable idea that the needs of the me outweigh the needs of the any, which is a principle that we should all live by. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that most people live by that principle already. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we don't think very highly of people on this podcast, apparently. <laughs> we don't think very highly of people on this planet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you know, right off the get-go, you know, we, we jump right into, uh, right at the beginning, we jump right into the story of Bulletproof and, you know, what ends up happening, uh, when he botches his revelation to his parents and, you know, uh, it goes from that to, uh, Invincible regaining his powers after, uh, the, the period of time where, you know, he was as delicate as tissue paper and unable to fulfill his duties as invincible. But the big story that happens in that first arc is, uh, you know, Dinosaurus has teamed up with him uh, in the previous years. And, you know, uh, Invincible was going to try to, uh, what's the word? Uh, he was trying to not re- uh, Rehabilitate him. Yeah, he was was gonna. He was gonna work with him to use his ideas and kind of serve as Dinosaurus's moral compass. Yeah, because I I think channel that energy to save that world to save the world. Yeah, because I I think the way Invincible saw it was that Dinosaurus had ideas that were that that actually did lead to progress, but his lack of intentions. What's that? Uh, He had, I guess. In a twi- twisted, warped way, he had good intentions. <laughs> right, he had good intentions in a twisted point of, from a twisted point of view, and Mark was trying to serve as that human compass to, you know, ensure that he wouldn't just massacre a bunch of people or an entire city in order yeah. to serve what dinosaurs considered the greater good of the planet. Yeah, he wanted to use his scientific genius, and instead of just using it as a means of wiping out people because, you know, people are the cause of the world's problems. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to use that scientific genius and channel it towards actual progress, right? Uh, right. Towards uh, constructive uses. Um, but right, like I was saying, just right at the beginning of, of this trade, uh, once Mark gets his powers back, we find out that Dinosaurus uh, essentially goes rogue and he decides that he doesn't know whether, when, or if Invincible will ever get his powers back. But what he's going to do is he's just going to revert back to his old ways and, you know, wipe out a bunch of people because, you know, without Invincible there to, to back him up, uh one like you said he's he he acted as a moral compass of sorts so without that moral compass he just reverted to type Mm -hmm. and two i guess you could argue that he he didn't feel like he had any recourse without invincible and you know the only course of action he could take after that was to do what he does best or what he thought was best and Mm -hmm. as a result he he creates a 
a massive, uh, I guess, tidal wave is the way to describe it by sinking Iceland. It's either Iceland or Greenland. I always get those two mixed up. But <laughs> he, he sinks, um, I want to say it's Iceland. Uh, okay, so, uh, let's, let's say it's Iceland. I could be wrong. He sinks it into the ocean and uh, it ends up causing uh, just catastrophe by flooding a bunch of ma major cities all over the world wiping out people and and his you know his uh his uh philosophy behind that is that humanity will ultimately survive this you know even if a few million people end up dying but they'll be better for it in the long run mm -hmm. yeah so what did you think of this story uh, this particular story arc drew. Was there anything about it that, uh, any themes in it that you felt mm -hmm. we've like discussed pre previously, or anything new? Like, uh, yeah, is is there anything about it that uh, any ideas within it that jump out at you? Yeah, a couple things. One of them is the continuation of that philosophy of the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few from Dinosaurus's perspective that that continues um, to be explored in these issues. The other big thing that I saw was how essentially the first issue of these of of this year's chunk of issues, uh, what is it issue ninety seven, I think. Yeah, issue 97. Um, I wanted to zero in on that one a bit just because I, I think it kind of sets the groundwork for a lot of the things that are to come. Probably not merely just the rest of the issues in this year, but I'm, I'm guessing until the end of the series because we, we are getting a little closer to the end of Invincible. Well, could I ask you something before you continue with your thought, not to derail you? What's up? But at this point, had they announced that the series was going to end, or were they still just kind of chugging along and doing what they were doing without any indicator that they had, you know, already decided? I actually don't remember. Okay. I don't know when he. I don't know if he ever said Invincible is going to run for 144 issues or or anything like that. I. Yeah. I would have to look that up. I I, I couldn't tell you okay. definitively. Okay. Um, if I had to guess, I would I would guess that. I would guess that uh, there was no indication that the series was going to end in 44, 47 issues, you know, mm -hmm. like unless uh, Kirkman had said at some point in the in the past that Invincible was meant to to go for a certain number of issues. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember. But anyway, uh, what I w did want to talk about was how this first issue, issue 97. It starts off with Bulletproof and his girlfriend having a meeting with Bulletproof's parents, which was something that we saw a part of that meeting in the previous volume. So it turns out that Bulletproof's parents don't really think too highly of him. They don't really respect their son because they've always had more affection, I guess you would say, for his, his twin brother. brother. Yeah. So through flashback, we get we get to see how Bulletproof 
got his powers and it was because his twin brother was just this super brilliant scientist who ended up developing a process to he wanted Inject to superpowers. create superheroes. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he was so the process to make... obsessed with the idea of superheroes that he wanted to be one. Yeah, and he could, he wanted to test the process with a perfect genetic match. So yeah, uh, he used his twin brother. But in the in the during the experiment, yeah, it gave bulletproof all his powers. But something got yeah. messed up with the machine, and it ended up killing his twin brother. So this whole time. Bulletproof has kind of been pretending to live two lives so that his parents don't know that his uh, brother is dead, which is, I don't know, it that's that's kind of a silly idea in a way because it, it kind of boggles my mind that even parents couldn't tell their own yeah. twin part. <laughs> I did think that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I know for, for people who aren't related, you know, it, it, like I, I've met some twins and, and it's... It, I still have trouble telling them apart, you know, like if they're identical twins, same, same voice and same mannerisms and everything, you know, like I have a yeah. real, I couldn't, I couldn't tell them apart, but I just, I would have imagined that a parent could still, you know, discern the difference. Exactly. Exactly. But, but, but anyway, if you can overlook that part, yeah. um, it, it's, it's a pretty sad origin story and when bulletproof reveals the truth to his parents they just get pissed off because they think he's lying uh or they think he killed his own brother and yeah you know they, they're just upset at him and it, it's pretty unjust because he finally told them the truth of everything yeah and just, he's the one that ends up using the superhero powers to try to be a well a superhero yeah you know? exactly yeah it's a uh... Yeah, when I, I I remember thinking as I was reading this, it's a very like it's a scene where a lot of the 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 things that happen and a lot of the the logic is pretty specious and it requires maybe a little extra suspension of disbelief in order mm -hmm. for you to accept what's going on for the sake of the story. Mm -hmm. It's it really reminds me of like a daytime soap opera you know <laughs> like it's probably yeah it's probably the most soap opera-ish uh chapter of this of invincible i mean and that that isn't to say that there aren't uh melodramatic or soap opera-y moments throughout the series but this this was kind of the i mean it has an evil twin <laughs> come <Yeah>. on <laughs> right um yeah but you were saying i'm sorry so the, the the thing that's surprising though is that while his parents are yelling at him, he's crying, and his girlfriend is just angry that his parents are so mad at him. So she gets a frying pan and clubs his mother over the head. <laughs> she goes full PUBG with the frying pan <laughs> on bulletproof mom, and it's it's just brutal, man. It. It was something yeah. where you flip the page and then you just see this frying pan crash on top of somebody's scalp. Her her eye, you know, pops out and there's all this blood. It's 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 a total shock moment. Yeah, it's a real big shock moment. And of course she didn't intend to kill her. I think she just wanted to lash out, but yeah. she's she's shocked and then she's just having a moment. Bulletproof's father 
starts attacking her. Uh, and then to, to pull him off, his girlfriend, Bulletproof, just grabs his father. But while he does that, he accidentally snaps his neck. Yeah. So yeah. then it's like, dude. Now they're all complicit. <laughs> or they're <Yeah>. both complicit. <laughs> yeah. And then you just flip the page after that. And then you see Bulletproof put his, his dead parents inside their car, throws them off a big cliff to make it look like an accident. And then there's another panel where everybody's at a funeral. And then the, the f- final panel on that page is just him and his girlfriend sitting at home looking Quietly. shocked and dazed. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, that's just the interlude or the, the, in the introduction to, to the, to the issue. And then you, you get to the next page and you get basically what's a message from Kirkman to the reader through one of his characters. So we see this character who's uh, the creator of the the science dog comic that Invincible, that Mark likes to collect and read. And what this guy is saying, he's, he's talking to Mark at a comic book convention, but it's really just a splash page where he's talking to, to us, to the reader, and he... It's it's just a little commentary for everything that we've just seen. And he talks about how, basically, he says that he could do things with his comic that he would never be allowed to do in a corporate comic book. You know, like you wouldn't be able to do a story like this with a Marvel or a DC superhero. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it's just too over the top. You know, it's, it's they wouldn't be willing to take that leap. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and then there's a little bit of comments a, a little bit of commentary on how uh you know, in the lead up to the 100 issue you got to shake things up, do something kind of shocking. And yeah, maybe there's a chance of alienating readers. People who just want the book to go back to the kind of lighthearted tone that it started with. Yeah. But f- from the perspective of the creator, sometimes People just want to do something new, you know. They want to go tell a story in a in a different direction. I th- I think it's just a moment where he wanted to acknowledge that things are gonna be different, things are gonna change. Hopefully, you trust in the creative team enough to, you know, stick with it. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've already like presumably, if you're reading issue 97, maybe you've already read the previous 96. So yeah. It, it would just seem weird to get to issue 97 and see something shocking and be like, man, I give up on this. Yeah, I, I think the tendency with a lot of books, and I think a lot of people even come to expect this, It's it's I guess it's the more cynical uh, thing about comic fandoms, or even any fandoms really, is the idea that um given the length of time everything event ultimately or eventually ends up jumping the shark you know and um yeah right so you you always end up with the kind of fans that go i liked it so much better in the early days or whatever before it got popular or whatever like there there's Mm -hmm. always like some sort of thing but in this moment uh this this comic this jump to this scene where this comic creator is talking to uh mark and you know just kind of telling him giving him his spiel on what his personal thoughts are and you know we can take this to be what robert kirkman is saying for himself um Mm -hmm. given all the outrageous things that he's done in the series up to this point 
um, is that, yeah, he is a writer and he wants to be able to take these risks, take these chances and go to places where he wouldn't normally be allowed to go in his stories. And yeah, I, I would say that it's interesting thinking about it with that meta context because we were talking about, um, you know, just a few minutes ago, we were talking about like just how unbelievable some of these things are um, that that happened to, to Bulletproof, you know, like mm -hmm. that his parents wouldn't <laughs> realize that their his twin brother has been dead for how long, right? Yeah. Or that he can, he's been faking, uh, you know, his, 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 this dual life as both the brothers, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And I think, th I think in a lot of comics, I, I would, I'd even say that even in the big two comics, we've seen some pretty ridiculous things if not stupid things like the the entire 90s was yeah just a, a a mishmash of just throwing crap at the wall just to see what what would happen you know yeah totally and totally. um i do think that this explanation from kirkman does soften the blow a little and it it, it makes me take a look at this more I, I don't have any other word for it but I guess academically or or you know yeah uh, it, it's something that's uh, metatextual because it, it leads you to think about something outside of the text you know we're yeah, at this point yeah. we're no longer just reading a superhero comic book but we're we're thinking about we're seeing his where his creative whims are taking him and yeah, where that's gonna go yeah even and if it is outrageous or kind of silly or whatever yeah and we're, we're thinking about the superhero genre as a you know a we're not just looking at this issue of Invincible. We're we're thinking about how do superhero comics work? Yeah, yeah, right. Like, what is the what is the creative process behind it all? You know? Yeah. And, and the, the other funny thing is that you can tell that Kirkman during the scene, it, it's not just it doesn't feel overly defensive or anything. You know, it doesn't feel like he's trying to preemptively yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, defend himself from any detractors. But it, there, there's like Maybe a little bit of that in here, but it's also kind of presented in this tongue-in-cheek way because you can tell that he's not necessarily holding himself, taking himself too seriously. There's this, the very next page, Mark listens to this spiel and he's like, oh, that's very interesting. Did did your ideas work? And the guy just stares at him for a couple of beats and he says, not really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then they then they have a, a little side conversation about variant covers and and uh, the obsessive compulsiveness of uh, collectors who got to get every single cover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's definitely a little bit of poking fanboys here. Yeah. Which is always funny. Yeah. And I I don't I don't even know if I'd. Like there is poking, but it might even just be. I don't know. I, I, I maybe I won't go so far as to say that he's asking them to be better, but it like the what ends up being the effect of this is, you know, basically him telling us to be a, a better kind of comic book fan, you know. Yeah. Um, and we even had this conversation. Uh. 
before this, uh, before we started the episode about how so much of the things that happen in this book uh, that, you know, he acknowledges in that panel uh, end up, you know, the stuff about Bulletproof aside, even the things that happens to Mark Grayson up to this point in year nine, mm. like he really pushes the the envelope and there are some scenes in terms of uh in terms of the consequences of his actions where i could go where where i could actually believe that or actually where i would where i wouldn't be able to believe what the actual consequences of his actions are you know um so you know things like we we mentioned earlier uh in the story that he because of dinosaurus uh you know mil uh the entire like about a million people end up dying because you know mark grayson because invincible wasn't there to stop him in time but even bigger than that dinosaurs was let loose because invincible let him loose because he thought he could be better he busted him out of a high security prison yeah because he wanted to you know channel that energy to something constructive and what ends up happening is dinosaurs ends up killing a million people and yeah. and what what it, what what are the consequences for that well invincible you know they say that he's I, I don't even know if they say that he's a pariah but you know for a very brief moment a couple of maybe a handful of superheroes don't like him yeah and, and but then cecil ultimately ends up taking him back taking him in and you know absolving him and vouching for him so that he can go back to being a superhero yeah yeah and it's one of those events that i think makes it like in any other case it would feel yeah like it would be really hard for the hero of the title to be responsible for killing a million people you know granted he didn't he didn't murder a million people with his own hands directly, but just the fact that he willingly and intentionally released this super mad scientist villain He's back into the world. Yeah. Cause like um, whether, you yeah. know, maybe he didn't, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't responsible for holding down uh, a million people underwater as they drowned. But, you know, yeah. he let this guy out so that they could kill people. That's, you know, that's as good as being responsible, you know? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I remember before the podcast when we were talking about it, like the one thing that uh, jumps out at me is uh, I always think of Geoff John's Green Lantern Rebirth and I always hated that series because that miniseries and like it's beloved by a lot of people because, you know, it's the comic that brought Hal Jordan back. Yeah. And, you know, at this point in his history, Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern, was responsible for wiping out an entire city. But it, you know, they well, they just seem to wipe. He did more than that, didn't he? Yeah, you're right. He did. He did. It like, wasn't just that. uh Okay, so he didn't wipe out the city, but he was he wasn't there to save the city and then on top of that he went crazy and became a megalomaniac who tried to, you know, 
he wiped out the entire Green Lantern Corps and stole yeah. everybody's rings and absorbed all their power. Yeah. And, you know, he continued to be a villain after that, like on a on a universal scale, right? Yeah. But then when they brought him back, they just kind of swept all this under the rug. You know, they a couple of heroes were kind of mad at him, but, you know, for the most part... <laughs> Batman you know, was mad. <laughs> yeah. And everybody else was part, like, it's good to have you back, Hal. Yeah. We missed you. Long time no see. Long time no be. <laughs> but, you know, I hated that series because of how they just swept it all under the the rug just to because they had because Jeff Johns just had so much love for the character that he just wanted him back and I don't really know why it's okay in Invincible but it isn't okay in Green Lantern but I don't I know will... you know why it was okay in Green Lantern is because it wasn't actually Hal it was this yellow parasite named Parallax <laughs> who was the embodiment of fear he was a brainworm. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't Hal. He wasn't responsible. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I hated that. I hated that. I thought it was stupid. I thought it was a terrible idea. Um, you know, it was truly a thing for the fanboys. But I will say that reading this, uh, this monologue from this comics creator, this one panel, it, it again goes back to the the uh, the metatextual nature of of this, right? Where just by hearing that omission from him even maybe it's not an, an actual admission but um you know I'll, I'll take it for that and just by reading that and seeing what his thought processes are presuming that that's his thought process um i'm more willing to stomach well i'm i'm not even gonna say that i stomached it i was like on board with it i was willing to follow yeah. follow this story to where it's gonna go because you know Maybe maybe because it didn't appeal to me as a fanboy, but it appealed to me as a reader. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it it yeah, it didn't appeal to like my most basic, immature nature, <laughs> and it just <laughs> told me straight up like I just want to know, I just want to experiment, I want to see what I can do with this series and with these characters, and from that standpoint, I have more respect for that. Yeah. You know, for that for that level of experimentation and creativity, you know, it's the story is more fascinating. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. more fascinating because now we have this hero who who isn't perfect. You know, this guy has he's made some monumental mistakes. So in a way, it kind of challenges you to consider what's the bare minimum that we expect from our heroes, man. Mm-hmm. How many how many lives can a hero indirectly be responsible for killing before we can't think of him as a hero anymore? Yeah, yeah. Like those are the things that that kind of cross my mind. Even some of the other uh, characters and and subplots in this volume in in year nine made me think of that too because we have Omni Man back in Earth space. He's now on. I think either on the moon or on some kind of satellite base. Um, he's officially he's exiled, exiled from yeah. from the planet Earth. But this guy was public enemy number one for a really long time. Like the entire planet heard this guy threaten to conquer Earth, and it's it's basically no way that 
the people of the planet are gonna ever trust in him or or believe that yeah he's if this is or real yeah yeah like he they had a fist fight that destroyed several skyscrapers and i'm assuming killed hundreds if not thousands of people yeah <laughs> you know yeah and then he admitted to the world or there was a leaked footage of him basically saying to the world that he was never really their hero and he was just there to enslave them yeah how do you how do you come back from that <laughs> yeah yeah there isn't really much you can do but the fact that he's still able to live life and operate in whatever ways that he operates there, there's still something about it that i think from a certain point of view you could look at omni-man and be like man this guy never was able to face justice yeah he, he flew away left the planet and he had all these other adventures yeah there was a, a period of time when uh his own people imprisoned him but he got free yeah uh, and then he joined the coalition or teamed up with the coalition. Yeah. Then his his wife Debbie ended up forgiving him, and now they're back together. Yeah. Hey, if she was able to overlook all of his faults, forgive yeah. him. Yeah. Why can't we? His exile isn't really a true exile. I mean, even Cecil admits to that. He he basically says, if you can come back to Earth, uh, and without having the other heroes notice, we'll we'll let it slide. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh. Yeah, and for a guy who can fly in and out of space, that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's the kind of thing that really makes you think about it as a reader. Yeah. Because it, I think most superhero comic book readers, if... Well, I won't say that there's only two types of readers, but I think a lot of readers either tend to like heroes that are people that they can root for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like they they're always looking for this relatable hero um and i think relatable works on several levels where i you know I, i've heard we hear people say that superman's not relatable because he's so powerful which i think just shows that people don't know how to read or they haven't read good superman comics they might not also not necessarily understand what relatable means <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> Exactly. And then I think there's also fans that are looking for, I don't know how how to describe it exactly, but they want something just, just, that's just grim or dark. So heroes that, that, you know, plunge their hands into the filth. Yeah. It's it's basically the uh, 80s or 90s action film equivalent of comics. I'm not saying that there's no place for it, but when you, I do think... When you look at that as the height of storytelling and, you know, that's the only form of storytelling that exists or if it's the type of thing that informs your worldview, there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like, I, I still remember this one time. I'm getting a little off topic now, but I remember this one time, maybe, yeah, 10 years ago now, uh, when I was at the job I had back then. One of my my coworkers was talking to me a little bit about some comics, and he he doesn't necessarily he didn't necessarily read a, a bunch of comics, but he did read The Boys, which was still ongoing at the time. Yeah. And one of what's that? Uh, I'm just saying, yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that he he said when we were talking about it was he I, 
the reason why he liked the boys was because, in his words, where else can you go with superheroes? And for some reason, that always stood out to me because in my mind, I didn't have a good response for him at the time. And in my mind, I just thought, I mean, I, I still you think can that do you do anything. Can, yeah. Like, <laughs> the imagination is the limit. But yeah. I, I guess for him, the the end point of superhero as a superheroes as a genre was making superheroes these vile, despicable creatures that needed to be put down like dogs. Yeah, I I think that's what a lot of people think, because the the explanation that they always give is it's more quote unquote real, and you know for all of our joking about how like terrible and awful humanity is, but this idea that you know if your average person was given a superpower that the the real the thing that would make it realistic is that they'd just be an utter bastard. Yeah, like, <laughs> like that kid in Inuyashiki. Uh, yeah yeah you know it's and i mean one it's a work of fiction so i i don't think you're limited by like that definition of reality you're not limited to realism in yeah a work of fiction. exactly <laughs> yeah mean, it's as simple as that but i also think it's also a pretty um this pretty unhealthy uh way to look at um the world this it's it's this very like uh macho alpha uh approach to how the world works mm-hmm. you know this this whole might is right it, it's a big thing for why um there are fans of something like the Zack snyder justice league uh the the, the, the Zack snyder cut that they don't just like it they like love it like fervently you know yeah because that's how real heroes act is you've you've constantly got to be like flexing you've got to be tough and uh you know it it's just really one-dimensional to me (laughs) it really is you know like don't get me wrong I, i i do have my moments where i enjoy that sort of posturing and that braggadocio that that tough uh, tough dealing uh, type of superhero stuff, but I need more emotional context, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That can't be the only tone throughout yeah. the entire four-hour enterprise. Yeah, if not, I'd just be watching four hours of just Superman punching Batman in the face. Yeah. That doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess what I was trying to get at by bringing that up is is how this year's issues of Invincible kind of made me think about that because because of what Invincible has done in this story and because of what his father has done in the past and how now his father, you know, doesn't really have any, I guess when you think about it, he hasn't really faced any real consequences. At this point, later on in, in these issues, he becomes the de facto leader of the surviving Viltrumites. Yeah, so he he kind of gains even more he power. The king. <laughs> yeah, he becomes the new king, and it, it's it's um just this cycle of these heroes or or people that we considered heroes at the beginning of the story, they end up making these mistakes, and I like mistake sounds like it's really underselling it because yeah. 
It's a pretty they, generous they, description. Yeah, it's a very generous description. <laughs> like, if I were a lawyer, I, I guess I would say they made mistakes. He had an oopsie. <laughs> <laughs> Most people's mistakes don't end up uh, killing, killing a million entire people. cities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a city's worth of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. The, the fact that these guys have ended up indirectly or directly being responsible for millions of deaths it's something that's a it it makes it a little bit troubling to continue to to root for them even though mark is obviously still the protagonist and you know he he's still he's still likable i mean i'm not going to say he's despicable or anything yeah. like that but it's just a situation where on some level as as you're reading it you just kind of think in the back of your mind yeah man i wish he didn't do that i wish he hadn't killed a yeah. million people <laughs> Yeah. And that goes to this other thought that um, I mentioned earlier, which is just, um, you know, before we started the podcast, which was that knowing what I know of what Kirkman mentioned in in that little monologue, in that brief monologue, it almost feels like, yeah, it's this experimentation to see just how how much can I get away with, mm-hmm. you know? And I guess it's like a magic trick in the sense that, well, maybe it's not like magic trick, but I was gonna say it's like if you're not con, if if someone isn't condescending to me or like uh, just trying to pull one over on me, as long as they're honest about their intent, I can see the. Uh, the creative and artistic value of what they're doing right but if they right. just kind of brush it over and just say yeah that's just what happens you know then it makes me think that they're not really thinking about it and they're yeah. not really trying anything and, and that's they're not really trying what yeah one it's bad storytelling and also if they're not trying what what reason do i have to be invested in what you're doing yeah right yeah, if, that's, a, that's a great point. If, if your whole thing is just, I'm, I just needed the most convenient way to get from point A to point B. So I just had to make it so that this entire planet ignores the fact that uh, Invincible and Omni-Man ended up killing all these people. If, if that's as good as your explanation goes, then that's not good enough for me. It, it's, it, you're, 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 um, your interior thoughts are showing and what they're showing me is that you're just, it's really more about you being lazy, right? Yeah. Yeah, but, exactly. But, but this, uh, level of thought that, um, that Kirkman puts into it. Yeah. It gives me that emotional context, that, uh, artistic context, uh, that I would need to say, to tell myself that, okay, maybe some of this stuff is not believable, but, he's he's trying something here he's doing something here so i'm willing to yeah see where he's gonna take us with this on this ride exactly and i'm okay with that yeah i'm willing to to trust in him as a as a writer yeah see where it goes yeah yep one of the things that we mentioned a few minutes ago too was how you were talking about how jordan as an example of someone who who did these heinous acts uh you know back in the 90s and those stories so i also see how this story in invincible here 
kind of works as a bit of a commentary on the cyclical nature of superhero comics in general. Because when Hal Jordan went mad, that was a specific period of time in the early and mid-90s. And then he became Parallax, who was this universal threat to to everything. And then at some point, he ended up becoming the host of The Spectre to kind of work on a path towards some sort of redemption. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, in the aforementioned Green Lantern rebirth, Hal Jordan ends up being physically reborn in his prime. And all of his pasts and and his past crimes, they're all waved away by saying that it was never him to begin with. It was just this yeah. uh, paras- this parasitic alien it worm was a magical deus ex machina that yeah. was just written up. To, to so we as the readers can tell ourselves i have no reason to be mad at this guy it wasn't his fault <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's just a way for it was a way for jeff johns to clear the slate and start a story from the beginning with the character that he's always liked since he was a kid yeah yeah you know but the thing that that uh people may not really consider if they don't if they're not super into comics is that those stories from the 90s and the story that Jeff Johns wrote, those weren't the same writer, you know? Like, it wasn't the same... It wasn't Jeff Johns writing those stories in the 90s about Hal Jordan and Parallax being a, a madman and a megalomaniac and a universal conqueror, you know? it. Yeah. Those were all different writers, different artists. So with Invincible, the big difference here clearly is that it's... Kirkman and Otley, with maybe sometimes uh, Corey Walker, the co-creator. But essentially, it's two people telling the story of Invincible. So you, you don't have yeah. that element of some other writer is going to yeah. come in and undo or retcon or mm-hmm. recontextualize mm-hmm. previous stories. Yeah. That's really I, interesting. I think if, if somebody had written that Hal Jordan story... And from the very beginning, laid some clues or had the in- intention and the the foreshadowing to indicate that this evil entity named Parallax was behind it all along. Okay, maybe I still wouldn't like it, but I can understand it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, it, it's, it's a lot less acceptable when some other guy just jumps in and, yeah. and does that. And, and you know, I, I get maybe what I'm saying could be hypocritical because there have been other plenty of other times when a new writer has come on and done something to shake things up real really uh on a massive scale for the title and i've liked it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, i mean then if, if we go down that road we're, we're just going to be talking about all sorts yeah. of other stuff I, I think i think what i'm just getting at is that there's a way to to do that well and there's a way to do that poorly and i think jeff johns does that poorly yeah like you could say that after a certain point his and i don't want us to like get too sidetracked but after a certain point in his career his entire career becomes about retconning uh classic characters that he liked into yeah like you could yeah that that basically becomes his whole thing after a while and uh i'd probably say that there are pretty diminishing returns because it i I guess 
I want to say that it just feels like it's the sort of thing that appeals to the worst kind of fanboys, you know, because mm-hmm. it's it tells stories that are meant to uh, like that are meant to activate their Peter Tingle, you know, <laughs> that are, it's meant to excite them because it's like, Oh wow. Look at what he did there. Did you see how he like changed that one little detail so that, uh, you know, now it means this whole other thing. And again, I'm not saying that uh, like you, I wouldn't say that there aren't instances where that's when that's done well, that it's not clever or creative, but when that's, when you just become that guy, who's just known for that, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes pretty obvious that you're kind of a hack. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that at true, that man. point you're just playing to the masses. You're just you know giving them what they want. <laughs> just yeah, pandering. Yeah, and to your point about how Robert Kirkman is writing, you know how Robert Kirkman wrote all of Invincible up to this point. So you could say that. Uh, he's constantly laying the groundwork for new things to happen and he's he's essentially the god of their world and he doesn't have to uh be conflicted by editors or other writers that don't like what he's doing mm-hmm. um when you mentioned that it like it activated a light bulb in my mind because it made me think um we've mentioned before how um a lot of well, I've mentioned before how when I read Kirkman's work, uh, it it feels like it's a love letter to comics, you know, and it's yeah. Again, I'm I'm not gonna say that this is uh, um, a a purposeful or intentional nod to to how comics are, but it it almost feels like well, if every comic that runs for 500 issues or, you know, that ran from uh, the the 50s or 60s to, to the modern day goes through this period where we eventually do stuff like this, then wouldn't it make sense that Invincible eventually has to go through a period where yeah. he has to do this ridiculous stuff? So yeah. it's Kirkman kind of doing, again, doing his best version to mimic the the period in comics where excesses yeah the excesses the periods where they jump the shark but the thing that makes it interesting is he's purposefully jumping the shark here and trying to jump the shark in a way that makes sense you know yeah (laughs) would you say that this is invincible's clone saga or age of apocalypse yeah exactly right (laughs) if you think about it yes it it sort of blows my mind like when when you think about it metatextually like that (laughs) yeah yeah that's what makes it fascinating man that's what makes invincible it elevates invincible over just a typical superhero adventure because it does it you can tell that the people making it have a deep knowledge and affection for the genre so they're able to do pretty much what you said uh you know what you described about just making this kind of this commentary on the excesses of that are typical of superhero comics in general, especially yeah. big two comics. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention another scene actually that while mm-hmm. we're still on the subject of just how it feels like the consequences are, don't really matter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
when we get to issue 100, we we see his uh, final, we see uh, Invincible. Now he has his powers back, and he decide and Dinosaurs has committed this atrocity, right? He's he's killed a million people. He's he's caused a catastrophe, worldwide catastrophe. So in issue 100. Uh, he goes big, you know, this is the hundredth issue and he just goes, uh, Kirkman and Otley just go huge because every page is a splash panel and it's just this, you know, uh, issue long battle between the two of them. Yeah. I think and, that was issue 99, right? Oh, that might've been issue 99. Yeah. 99 uh, was all splash pages. No, no, you're right. You're right. It is issue 99. I, it's in the trade paperback. It's listed as number three. So, but I forgot to count 97 as part of that. Okay. But <laughs> yeah. But at the end of that, uh, when you get to actual, uh, when you get to issue 100, so at the end of their battle, Dinosaurus is uh, fighting Invincible, and yeah. you see him grab uh, this unconscious Invincible, and the very last page of issue 99 is him uh, putting uh, Invincible's head in this like vice grip, right? Between he's gonna pop heads. his head like a balloon. Yeah, and that's how the issue ends, and you're like, how is this gonna end? And the very first page of issue 100 is he pops his head like balloon, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then the page after that, he literally just rips him in half. And you think, oh, uh, uh, they followed that up with just shocked reactions from for for two pages, mm -hmm. you know. And as a reader, you're just like, oh wow, he did it. What happens now? And the revelation after that is it turns out the dinosaurs had a clone of him. It was a clone. Sitting, he had a clone of him sitting around. And he wanted to basically free Mark Grayson, free Invincible from uh, the consequences of what he was doing by faking his death. Yeah. And that's what he did. I mean, yeah. it's, just, it's just such a crazy over-the-top idea. And if it was any other comic, I'd be like what is this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, uh, I don't, that's like Scott Snyder writing a story where, where Batman dodges an explosion by jumping into a suit of armor at yeah. the last moment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, Cause I remember in the buildup to this, uh, yeah, like we, we as the reader know that Mark Grayson, you know, invincible is going to have to suffer some sort of consequences for releasing dinosaurs and for, uh, Pro for by proxy being responsible for the death of millions of people. So in this entire reading up to that point, I was like, how how's he going to get out of this? What's his life going to be like after this? And what happens? They clone him and they fake his death. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was pretty funny. <laughs> it was, it was, you know. <laughs> and it just and it really feels like if this had been uh, Spider-Man or any other comic, I would have just been. That might have been the moment where I would have like just thrown my hands up and walked away from it, right? What if Jeff Johns had done that with with uh, Hal Jordan? <laughs> it was a clone. It was a clone. It was Agatha all along. <laughs> <laughs> or Mephisto. Uh, yeah, yeah. I it's I would have I would have hated it substantially more if that's what he had done well you know what technically uh I, well i forget in in rebirth how did his body come back because he i remember he was like in some sort of coffin and his body was there but i i was gonna say that they cloned him from like a molecule but i think that was green arrow where he like took a, one molecule of uh, yeah. oliver queen and like 
birthed yeah. a new Oliver Queen from it. But I don't even remember how. I don't remember how Hal Jordan got reborn into his prime. Okay. I'd have I would have to reread that comic, and I don't have any desire to do so. Yeah, don't do it. It's not worth it. Yeah. It's it's trash. <laughs> yeah. If I found those issues in a quarter bin, I would probably put them in, at the very end of the long box <laughs> to make it harder for people to find them. <laughs> I would put them underneath a long box. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to protect yeah. innocent people from reading bad comics. <laughs> or you could split up the issues and hide them in a bunch of different boxes and then hide one in the bathroom. <laughs> That would be messed up. <laughs> but that yeah. those are the lengths that we would have to pursue in order to be yeah. in order We're protecting to protect you people. guys. Yeah. Yeah. We're the real superheroes here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we should talk about how that that whole thing culminates and even how the the whole thing uh, how how the entire thing culminates between Invincible and Dinosaurus is um even that feels a little rushed when I think about it because they have this entire exchange and then, uh, you know, uh, dinosaurs is keeping invincible in this comatose state. Eventually he lets him out after this entire conversation that they have about what he's done. And dinosaurs just goes, I'm beyond redemption. And, you know, I, I finally see that and there's nothing that you can do. So I need you to kill me. Yeah. And it ends with, Mark, it doesn't show Mark Grayson killing uh, dinosaurs, but you just see him walking out, and he's just drenched in blood. Yeah. But even that just feels like it was. After everything that happened, it just felt like. You felt like, it was anticlimactic. A little bit. It it was anticlimactic, and for no, it was it was just to have dinosaurs admit his complicity, and mm-hmm. then, you know put his head on the tracks in order to receive his punishment yeah it wasn't that's actually something that i want to uh talk about too a little bit more because the thing that struck me with that entire sequence was how their conversation went back and forth for at least a couple pages (laughs) and yeah it, it was anticlimactic in the sense that there wasn't it wasn't a physical fight. It was more of a philosophical debate where Mark was trying to explain to Dinosaurus why he was wrong, why Dinosaurus was wrong, and why Dinosaurus's plan could never work because he just didn't have the moral ground to to do something like that. Are you saying he didn't have the high ground at it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Don't do it. I have the high ground. <laughs> you were but saying. I think it's it's fascinating because the the scene doesn't end in fisticuffs. It ends with Dinosaurus realizing Invincible was right, and at that once he realizes that, it's over. Hmm. He he realizes Invincible is correct. He realizes that he is like you said, beyond redemption. So there's nothing more to be done except to kill him. But the thing that that's interesting is that all of that was done, I mean, other than the act of, you know, literally killing him, the only way, like Mark really defeated him by talking to him. 
which is not something that you often see in superhero comics. Yeah. So th- that that in and of itself is pretty different from the paradigm of how these things typically go. Usually you expect to see some kind of big battle, especially because that other issue had an entire an entire uh, issue of splash pages of them fighting each other. Mm-hmm. But the the thing that kind of amplifies that moment to me is that later on in these issues, Mark essentially does the same thing again when Angstrom Levy returns. Yeah. When Angstrom Levy returns, Mark... Well, yeah, of course... It was actually Adam Eve, right? I mean, she's yeah. the one who talks him down. That's right, that's right. But, but even if it isn't Mark, the idea that the heroes in the story are convincing the their antagonists to mm-hmm. reform without the use of violence. Yeah. That that idea in and of itself is pretty pretty different. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for correcting me. Yeah, that was Adam Eve. It's it's just very interesting to see that there's this uh use of words instead of violence when you would expect a big fight. Yeah. At, at, by the time we see Angstrom Levy again in in these issues, it it feels like he might be Invincible's greatest enemy in some yeah. sense. Yeah. Like he's he's the one. Like the Viltrumites are are powerful and and they're there's not really a whole lot Mark could do to stop them. But on some level, it feels like Angstrom Levy has always been the one that fills him with terror. Yeah. Angstrom Levy is the one that like hates him, right? Like what, Yeah, it's what, it's very personal. Yeah. What what uh what's his name? Threg? Yeah. What Emperor Threg does, he does, you know, uh he has a clear and present objective, which is the preservation of his people, right? Yeah. And, and Mark is just an obstacle to that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's not really a thing where they hate each other they're just they're just doing what they have to do yeah yeah you know so yeah i i definitely see that in angstrom levy yeah so the the fact that eve was able to to talk to him in order to defeat him so to you know seeing that two times in one year huh you know, yeah. it, it makes it's you... an evolution, man. Yeah. It's an interesting evolution of comics. I'm like I, I hadn't thought about it, but uh when you when you bring it up, that's uh that is really interesting. Yeah, and maybe that's part of what Kirkman slash science dog dude was talking about in issue yeah. ninety seven when he was addressing the reader. You know, like we're we're gonna do different things here and take some chances and maybe the expected thing to do would be to just have these big battles that that are drawn in in a really action oriented and exciting dynamic presentation but the unexpected thing to do would just be to have a couple of talking head scenes where yeah you know it, it's it's just different man like I, I i was trying to think about other superhero comics i've read where where the hero defeated the the bad guy by talking to him, and I mean I, I'm I'm sure it's happened at some point, but like 
right on the spot. I, I can't think of one at this moment. Maybe I'll remember something later on, but right now I, I don't remember anything. Do you? No. Uh, I mean, nothing, nothing, certainly nothing in like the big two, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty different, you know? I, I, like I said, I, I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up that, uh, in this very moment, but it, uh, yeah, it's definitely food for thought. It's making me mm-hmm. contemplate what I just read. Maybe the only thing that I, that I can think of where, the hero doesn't resort to violence was Joe Casey's run on Superman. I think it was actually adventures of Superman, but, but like his, his last 12 issues, I think there was a clear progression of him basically making Superman a pacifist. Like, I don't even think Superman, I don't even think he has Superman throw a single punch in those 12 issues. And it's, it's a really interesting way of trying to tell a superhero story, let alone a Superman story, where this you you, yeah. you kind of pick up a Superman comic expecting him to punch someone so hard they you know they fly you know hundreds of meters in the air because he's so strong. You don't expect to pick up a Superman comic and just read a story where he just talks to people and and doesn't yeah and doesn't hit people or uses heat vision or yeah. to hurt people or anything. Yeah, unless you're doing a story where he walks across America to find himself. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> even, even in that run, Superman was still hitting people. <laughs> uh, oh, man, Th- those were some bad comics by J.M. Straczynski. Yeah. You want to talk about the the second big thing that happens in, the seri- in, in that first trade, or the first yeah. six issues? So... Um, you know, after he, after the entire ordeal with Dinosaurus, um, we mentioned this earlier in the episode, but uh, Omni-Man, uh, you know, Cecil is now being, uh, is reintroducing all of them into the fold, and this is their new status quo, and Cecil ends up uh, talking to Omni-Man, and he basically tells him, hey, um, yeah, you're exiled, you know, there's, there's not we we can't accept what you did and there has to be some consequence for it so we're going to exile you to this moon base right mm. and right off the bat what ends up happening is just as cecil leaves thrag is sitting there hovering over the moon base and mm-hmm. he just attacks uh, omni-man and it just becomes this big fight and the revelation is that the uh uh, the Viltrumites, uh, I guess they have a lost king, this lost lineage for uh, a leader of theirs. And when uh, Mark Grayson was uh, affected by that poison, they did test on his DNA and they found out that Omni-Man and uh, Invincible are related to this uh, this legendary leader of theirs. Mm-hmm. And it becomes this fight because Thrag... Um, basically goes goes over all of their history only to tell him that he can't have it in him to allow Omni-Man to become the leader of these people uh, because one, he just doesn't want to give up power, but two, he also sees Omni-Man as an insufficient leader, Mm -hmm. you know? And they fight it out and what ends up happening is it looks 
for a second like Thrag is gonna kill Omni Man, but the other Viltrumites overhear it and they end up stopping Thrag and and imprisoning him. And this kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier because it's really interesting what happens here is at this point Omni Man assumes his role as their new emperor and all the Viltrumites bow down to him and mm -hmm. you know and at one point him and thrag have a conversation where thrag tells him you'll have to kill me they'll never respect you if you if you don't kill me because uh they'll see it as a sign of weakness and what does he do he says uh what omni man says is we're doing things differently now we're gonna yeah. show that our grace is our strength our mercy is our strength you know and it goes yeah. back to that idea of what we were talking about in the in that first uh well what we were talking about uh earlier where we were talking about how uh the heroes don't use violence mm -hmm. um as a means of resolution here it's not just violence but it's also the heroes are renouncing retribution essentially yeah you know yeah yeah so it it totally now that you've mentioned uh, this potential theme, like I can't help but see it everywhere in this in no, this that, year. No, that's true, man. That's a good point. You know that that absolutely goes along with what we were dis what we were discussing. Everything that that uh, that first that issue ninety seven lays out in terms of addressing the reader and and preparing the reader for something different and uh you know not just it's not just something different in the sense that a new experience that you know new adventures new are going to take new place villains new yeah. adventures yeah yeah it's not just new new adventures or new villains or new characters but it, it's new powers new costumes not even <laughs> not even new powers and new costumes it, it it's it's really about new ideas in, injected into these really sort of familiar settings because how many other times have we seen superhero stories where the heroes do end up using their fist to solve their problem you know that, that's sure that's every almost every single one <laughs> exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so just the fact that there these three examples that we've mentioned uh in these issues with with Omni Man and Thrag, Adam Eve and Angstrom Levy, as well as Mark and Dinosaurus. Three times in one year, that's that's kind of a pattern. You know, it's there's something it's it's a there there's something to look at there, you know, like there's something to examine. It makes the idea of looking at Invincible as a as a commentary on superhero comics come out even more to the forefront you know like the metatextual nature of of these issues r rises a bit because of what it's saying about superhero comics and yeah i mean i think it's fair to to look at these comics just as adventures and uh you know you can just read them and not even think about that stuff at all but i think for me and probably for you as well because we read so many superhero comics it it's definitely a benefit to have that extra dimension oh yeah sure certainly it's one could 
someone could ask us like if we read that many superhero comics what's to make it what's to prevent them from all running together and just kind of being uh, a meaningless mishmash of gobbledygook mm -hmm. but uh, i think the opposite argument works uh, or is more applicable to us because if anything we read so many of these superhero comics that it's the subtleties that make them special. It's the subtleties that make yeah. them jump out at us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're always looking for whenever we read these kind of comics. Yeah. Like I, I, I get the argument that if I said to someone who didn't read comics that, you know, superficially speaking the shallow difference between spider-man and batman is x y and z or whatever but there's depending on what you're reading there's a lot more going on beneath the surface and it's it's about the writer's ability to um communicate that with mm -hmm. meaning and impact right yeah absolutely so, and of yeah. course really sweet art helps too <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure but it, it just goes to show the difference that there's like there's a there's a massive difference between uh, I don't know I'm trying to think of a random Spider-Man writer let's let's say Paul Jenkins there's a big difference between a Paul Jenkins Spider-Man comic and a Howard Mackey Spider-Man comic yeah it's you huge know? it's huge it's, it's huge. yeah it, it it really is like so many people don't really care about who's making their comics they care yeah. more about the character in the comic. They care if it's a Spider-Man comic or or all they care about is uh, Spider-Man swinging through the webs and yeah. Spider-Man punching and kicking. <laughs> yeah, and and that's just not how I can consume comics. I I, I would I would yeah. just stop reading if if I it got to that point, you know. It's not enough. It's, it's not. not enough. When I was a kid, sure, right? Oh like, yeah, I was substantially underdeveloped. <laughs> <laughs> Kids eat paste. Exactly, exactly. Especially if you make them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, I, when I was a kid, Howard Mackey was one of the writers of Spider-Man. So I was, I mean, he was writing, I think, Web of Spider-Man back yeah. in the early 90s. And, and one of the first Spider-Man comics I had was, I think it was called The Name of the Rose. That was the story. <laughs> and that that wasn't a good comic or a good story, but I just remember as a kid reading it over and over and over because I was a kid and I didn't have that many comics to begin with. Yeah, yeah. My library was very limited, so the, the handful of comics that I did own were ones that I just devoured until the covers got all messed up and the staples were barely holding the pages together. Yeah. Yeah, man. But, I, I but totally now that we're older, we don't have that problem anymore. We got some money. Yeah, so we can buy. Uh, we can choose to buy what we want, right? So we we can. It it forces us to develop our tastes, so mm -hmm. that we're not spending our money on crap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you want to talk about any of the other the the secondary story in 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 the later part of the year? Mm, I think the things that stand out to me in the in the second half of the year's worth of stories is mainly well you already t touched upon how uh omni-man has become the leader of the viltrumite so there's you know there's that tension there between uh him and the people that that learned that information particularly mark and adam eve 
And then, of course, the Angstrom-Levy story where, yeah, Adam Eve ends up talking him down. And it, it seems like he takes her words to heart and, and wants to reform. But then Invincible is so focused on, you know, just that idea, oh, this guy's my enemy. I've, there's no way we'll ever be free of him until unless we kill him. Mm-hmm. And then And then there's that alternate reality, Mohawk Invincible, from that other story a couple years back when Angstrom Levy gathered alternate Invincibles to, to wage war on Earth. Mm-hmm. And this Mohawk Invincible still has, you know, he's mad that Levy betrayed him. So he he manages to enter one of the portals and, and he, he grabs Angstrom Levy after the point when Angstrom Levy seems to want to reform. Yeah. And he captures him in this, and they're just in this other dimension. So from at that point, the real invinci- are invincible. Uh, he asks Rex Robot to develop a portal so he can go to that Mohawk Invincibles dimension and put an end to Angstrom Levy once and for all. Mm-hmm. So there's there's something interesting about this story because there's the tension between Eve and Mark because she's content to just let him be to let angstrom levy be just you know move on and forget about him he's he's out of our lives now yeah. whereas mark is like the only way to be sure the only way that i can that i won't have to live in fear of him popping up at any time is if i can see that he's dead so he's just on this mission and it turns out that uh robot uh has an ulterior motive for helping mark also yeah which is how the the story ends it's probably one of the more uh it the the violence has always been pretty violent like there's always been a lot of blood and guts and that the last issue here in issue uh 108 that it's probably pretty high in terms of the issue if i were to rank the issues that were the bloodiest or just the the most shockingly violent or gruesome mm-hmm. he ends up rex robot ends up he they go to the other dimension and they and robot has a device that it's i guess it's some kind of sonic device that messes with the equilibrium of the viltrumites so while while mark and mohawk invincible are incapacitated robot kills mohawk invincible and then he, they find angstrom levy he's basically just tied up being tortured repeatedly and he just chops his head off yeah which is brutal, and then he leaves Mark, you know, he just leaves Mark in the, that dimension because he's he's one of the heroes who knows what Mark has done in his mind. Mark doesn't deserve to, I don't know, keep on living his life the way he's been living it to be to be free to yeah, be a hero. Yeah. 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 So so in Robot's mind, he's he's just got to do the the logical thing you know like this is the smart move for the preservation of earth in his mind well i mean i don't didn't didn't he say that part of it was like yeah part of it was i guess this commitment to uh invincible getting his punishment but i think the other part of it was that he had a bigger plan that he was enacting and he even admits mm-hmm. that he was just 
upset that Invincible's plan would conflict with his own plan. Yeah. 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 Uh, which is interesting. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what he says. Yeah. Because it's interesting because when we first get introduced to Robot earlier on in the series, like they, there were a lot of hints that were dropped that, you know, he would be doing something there was something sinister almost exactly right so as i was reading it the whole time i'm waiting for waiting for that other shoe to drop and for that thing to happen and it never really uh materializes yeah even in in last year's group of issues when they had the big monster girl and robot story yeah, he did some it messed up things. Yeah, but it it, did, it never felt like he was an outright villain or he wasn't a, orchestrating anything. He was just well. A, well, a, I guess maybe you could say he was an outright villain. He he did try to yeah. commit a uh you know he tried to eradicate an entire family line. Right. So like th- there were definitely things that he did that were yeah that were not cool. But it felt more like it was ultimately be the trajectory of his personality. It didn't feel like he was like some madman who was like planned this all along. It felt more like because the story takes place in this alternate dimension where time goes uh, functions differently, right? So they exist in this dimension for hundreds, if not thousands of years, right? Yeah. And what ends up, it, it just feels like given time, the natural instincts of his personality eventually warp to become this thing, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, and, and that's the person that we ultimately end up with is this version of Robot that does become a villain, you know? Yeah, yeah, what, that's true. Yeah, because what we see in this uh, second arc is, yeah, he, he, you know, in the name of the greater good, uh, as he sees it, he decides to uh, strand Invincible in this alternate dimension because that's the best way for him to deal with him. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and even then he won't like kill him, even though he's clearly shown he has the ability to kill one of these invincibles. Yeah. But you could also argue that, you know, his him stranding him in that dimension is kind of a death sentence as well. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And and the other thing that uh kind of adds to the to the drama is that. Mark is really the only person who now is aware of Robot's true intentions. Mm. Like for everybody else, all the other characters, Monster Girl and and Cecil, they they don't really have any inkling that he's anything other than what he's said he is. You know, like they don't. I don't think they really realize or are aware of the extent of the machinations that he has he has in place. Actually, speaking of Monster Girl, I did like how these issues did follow up with her and her her son. Mm. Like there, there was an interesting scene where she visits her son, who is now in this maximum security prison, and he tries to tell his his mother, or I guess, well, he calls her his father, father. because yeah. she was monster. She was the monster when she fathered him <laughs> right right <laughs> and he he tries to tell her that robot is this um yeah he was this villain all along yeah you know he he's been lying to her this whole time 
and he's he's he was behind orchestrating uh the death of this entire family line you know mm-hmm. so if he's capable of that why wouldn't he be capable of lying to her why wouldn't he be capable of even more monstrous acts yeah yeah, yeah. basically saying this guy enslaved people and ruled with an iron fist this 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 dude is a fascist and you don't even realize it yeah but the the thing that kind of struck me when i was reading that scene is it 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 almost felt like a bit of a commentary on on the story itself because monster girl basically calls him a liar she she rejects the argument that her son is is propping up and she tells him that he's just mad that because he's in prison and he's just trying to you know lash out and get her to to hurt rex and she she talks about how rex was overwhelmed with the burden of fixing the civilization and uh he ended up sacrificing you know basically he and he and monster girl have sacrificed a lot to save the flaxen world as well as uh you know the earth and maybe Rex lost himself on the way because he was so obsessed with changing the Flaxen people. He was obsessed with um, reforming their society and governing them. And yeah, she admits maybe he crossed a line or two on the way. But at the end, he, he still willingly chose to, ga- to give up his absolute power when they were in the Flaxen world, you know? Yeah. Like they were there for 700 years and by the time I guess you could just use your imagination, right? Like imagine if you worked for something for hundreds of years and you finally obtained it, it would be pretty hard to let that go, I imagine. Yeah. yeah and for sure. and she talks about like the way that she portrays him, it, it's it's definitely a lot more of a heroic interpretation of of events than how the son views it. But then even even then, she does admit that he, at some points, got carried away, that he maybe crossed a line or two, you know. And thinking back to what happened in in the Flaxen World, in last year's issues, there did come a point when she actively took a step, uh, took a stand against Rex, and and they were on opposing sides when she tried to 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 fight him, basically. But you know. The, she she admits all of the things that that uh he's done in order to to uh, make the world a better place and she admits but she also um tells her son that Rex gave up willingly gave up the the power so the way that the son responds to that i think is pretty interesting because the only thing he really has to say to that is and I found the panel, so I'm just I'll just read it to you. He says, "Where he went, the things he did, is that really something you come back from?" Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then the next panel, yeah. she just turns a, turns her back and says, "This conversation is over," and she walks away. But again, just that idea of where he went, the things that he did, is that really something you come back from? Yeah. It, it goes back to the theme that we were talking about most of this episode where uh 
you know, Invincible and Omni Man, they've done some horrible things. How can how can they still be heroes after, yeah. after all that they've done? You know, is that really something you come back from killing millions of people or at least thousands or hundreds of thousands? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it's funny how what he says works on multiple levels within the story. I thought that it's, was really yeah. well done. Yeah, now that you mention it, it just makes it it gives me more to ponder because now I'm more curious to see what future volumes will will do to explore that idea you know like what is what is robert kirkman's final thought on this going to be when he gets there you know yeah like yeah what, what's his statement on the concept of redemption mm-hmm. right so yeah and and i do think that that's like a big part of superhero stories um although it it tends to take a back seat on uh, a back seat to the uh to the more prominent idea of just justice and being good and being a hero in this almost generic innocuous way you know yeah and and usually justice means punching a bad guy hella hard in the face yeah 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 it's um yeah, it reminds me of this episode of Rick and Morty where they have like this uh, stand-in for the Avengers, mm-hmm. and the whole time, I forget what the team is actually called, but you know they're just basically a team of superheroes, and the whole time they're just spouting things like anyone can be a hero as long as you do what's good, what's right, and and you know the episode kind of mocks that idea, but it doesn't mock the idea of being good or being just. It it mocks the idea that uh, the idea of the idea that all you have to do is know what's good and what's right, and that automatically makes you a good guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which it's 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 pretty weak. <laughs> it's pretty flimsy, you know. It's just a platitude at that point. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in terms of the other big things that happen in this year, we. We also begin to see some pretty big fraction of friction between Mark and Adam Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see that Robert Kirkman is sprinkling a lot of different uh, different obstacles to their relationship. Uh, there's good things because uh, uh, they they announced that they're having a second child or they're she's pregnant, basically, mm-hmm. right? Not basically, she's pregnant. Uh, so it for for a brief moment it feels like things are good but we get the introduction of a viltramite female who is obviously interested in in invincible in mark mm-hmm. and on top of that uh adam eve and mark have this huge argument before he goes off to find angstrom levy and it's an argument where they say some pretty pretty harsh things to one another or rather mark says some pretty harsh things to her yeah um you know just things that reveal maybe you could argue maybe he said them under duress because of everything that's going on but even so they're they're things that reveal the the kind of thoughts that he has in his subconscious things like how he doesn't really 
he he says at one point he says to her that she hasn't really fought threats on his level yeah that's pretty condescending thing it's condescending and you know it just goes to show that it's not even true yeah it just goes to show that he doesn't at least in that moment he didn't see her as an equal or as someone who contributed as much as he did to to their superheroing you know Mm -hmm. um so uh and yeah, and this all really stems from her trying to warn him, because uh, the whole time she was just telling him that, hey, uh, that other Invincible is probably going to kill Angstrom, Angstrom Levy. I just want this all behind us, you know? Yeah. And Invincible Mark, he he wants to go. And I guess that's the part that sort of uh, that's another interesting conflict to me is that even though she talked Angstrom Levy down to to the point where he was willing to for a brief moment reform himself, when Invincible goes wants to go after him, he doesn't want to go after him because oh he's he's a better person now he needs to be saved so that he can you know. Yeah. Uh, be a functioning member of society he wants to go there to kill him i've got to make you know? sure he's dead <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah so there's this pretty big fissure that erupts uh between the two of them and um yeah it's it's another thing where i'm i'm curious to see what what happens in the next volume um because when when even though adam eve warns him not to go uh, in search of Angstrom Levy, he goes anyway, and he goes with this really pissy attitude when he's talking to her. So, one, the last things that he says to her aren't particularly, um, they don't particularly put him in a good light. And two, it turns out she was right all along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that something was going to go wrong. And, yep. and he gets screwed over. And so, you know, uh, with these, uh, obstacles in the relationship and that uh and this other viltramite woman um you know looming in the background uh yeah we don't know what it's gonna look like we don't know what's what's gonna like for a very brief moment it felt like they were gonna have a happily ever after where you know they were gonna be together and they were gonna raise a child and have a home with a picket fence and uh, yeah, I'm curious to see uh, what Robert Kirkman is going to, how he's going to torment them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm I'm in the same boat because with this volume, uh, everything moving forward is going to be new to me as well. Like I never read these last volumes of, of Invincible. So yeah, I, I know as much as you do at this point. Yeah, so we can we can experience the the fun of of discovery. I think that's one of the you know just one of the more entertaining or enjoyable elements of Invincible is just the surprise inherent in in yeah, yeah, what's going totally. on. But I mean, what, what yeah, but what what elevates it is knowing that there's still gonna be a little bit of extra meat on the bone beyond just the adventure, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I'm interested to see where they're going to go in terms of exploring these um, 
I guess these new ideas that they've introduced in this volume, like is is it going to be a pattern uh, or are we going to see any more instances where the heroes try to use reason and logic in dealing with their enemies? Yeah. Or was this more of an aberration? If it yeah. was an aberration, it, it's an interesting aberration. But it if, it's, it, it if it points the way forward for how things are going to be in the future. Yeah. I'm very curious about how they're going to pull that off because there's a lot of things happening where it it kind of doesn't feel like it it kind of doesn't feel like there's going to be less violence in Invincible for some reason I just think there's going to be even more violence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see if they can thread that needle of having the violence but still having this uh there's something humane about it well (laughs) i was gonna say still having this message of resolution through uh discourse uh discourse right yeah yeah (laughs) you know yeah there's Um, something interesting and humane about that idea i think yeah i i yeah same here the one one more thing that i noticed was that the last issue of this, uh, issue 108, I think it has the very first F word we've seen in, in Invincible. Did you notice well, that? I guess I never thought about it because if you ever uh, were privy to the inner interior dialogue or monologue that or dialogue that I have, it's a it's a word that I tend to say a lot. So <laughs> I, I, I guess I don't notice... <laughs> <laughs> no, up to this point i don't think my mind is ever, just it's never used uh the f word and i think yeah. like earlier in the issue they, they used the s word which was different too because it 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 didn't really have um you know mature language and it still doesn't have any nudity it's always yeah. had violence so I, I i found it an interesting choice to finally use the f word after 108 issues yeah yeah it's almost like how come they didn't just start using that that kind of language from the very beginning it actually reminds oh oh, i was gonna say just bringing it in at such a late stage in the game it i don't know it 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 feels strange to me but Yeah. yeah it's just one of those things where I notice it and I move on, you know. <laughs> what have you been telling a kid this whole time that this is a comic for kids and it isn't until this very last page where you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I was okay with all the violence, but he's an F word in this one panel, a uh, hundred and a hundred plus issues. In. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't think I would recommend Invincible to kids, even from the beginning, just because yeah, of how violent yeah, it is. I, know. I was just kidding. <laughs> but it, it would be funny if I did, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, maybe the next issue, there's a there's a naked breast or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad little Billy quit that issue that w- right before that happened. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It reminds me of... Um... Uh, Bojack, uh, the Netflix show Bojack Horseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used to do this every season, where there'd be just one, one episode where someone would drop the f bomb, 
And I don't know if it was like a standards and practices sort of thing or what, but um, the way that they uh, scripted the show, they really wanted to use it for effect. So when you got to that point in the season when someone used it, it it really left an impact, you know? It was really for a really severe moment. And uh, they it, it almost became this running gag to the point where fans of the show would just sit and wait for the moment <laughs> where in this in a particular season where they were going to drop the f-bomb <laughs> well yeah. i mean I, I guess the moment when mark says it actually makes a whole lot of sense because that's a point where there isn't much else you can say yeah it's a he's he's in a bad place at that point yeah yeah i also wanted to mention um one of the other like uh when we were talking about uh the friction in uh invincible and adam eve's relationship one of the things earlier on that drives a a minor wedge between them is when they when they find out that adam uh that eve is pregnant um the first thing that she tells him is hey don't tell anybody about it and he Mm. what does he proceed to do is he tells cecil and he tells his his uh, his dad, yeah. you know, and from his perspective, it's, you know, he tells his dad because he has genuine concerns and he tells Cecil out of out of pragmatism. But you could argue that, you know, it's he, he you could argue that it's it's for him, even if it's justified to him, it's a pretty casual disregard of a promise. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, that, that's not it's pretty cool. disrespectful. It's pretty casual disregard. It's not something that he even wanted to talk to her about, you know. Yeah, he should have um, at least asked her for asked her for permission and explained his reasoning. Yeah, and then her response when she finds out that he has this heart to heart conversation with his dad is that, she, and this is another like layer to their uh, rift is she says that he's the king of this empire and you know just a few years earlier i don't know if it's even years to them or just months but um you know a few years earlier to them he was on the verge of conquering this planet yeah and she goes, how does he how does she know that he doesn't still have malicious intent or even some sort of now that now that he's the king of their their peoples how does she know that he doesn't have some sort of plan or how does she know that there isn't some ritual that's going to endanger her or her child you know yeah so, i think she says something like what what if the viltramite way is to punch the woman's <laughs> stomach and rip the child out <laughs> right so you know it just goes to show that she doesn't really trust his family yeah and, and again he's uh, by by like just telling cecil and omniman he's not really giving her a lot of reason to trust him at this point yeah 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 Yeah. i mean adam eve has good reason not to trust omni man i don't think anybody really has good reason to trust him yeah in spite of what we said earlier about how everybody just was okay with him now yeah i mean (laughs) i mean obviously mark is okay with him oliver is okay with him even though we don't see oliver in these issues debbie Uh is okay with with omni man Debbie is super okay with yeah, it. Yeah. 
she's more okay than anyone could possibly. <laughs> she's uh, 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 almost unrealistically okay with him. <laughs> Any final thoughts on on these comics, Albert? Um. No, like I think uh, Kirkman did a, I you know I I had an entertaining time reading this this year's worth of uh, of the story, but it wasn't until I was talking with you and you you kind of set me straight that you gave me a little more to chew on. So I I've walked away today with uh, more to think about and uh, a higher appreciation for it. So uh, yeah, I I I can only hope that the people listening to this podcast. Uh, get that too cool yeah thanks man yeah i mean i i definitely gain a lot from our conversations too and that's what makes these podcasts a lot of fun it's mm. just cool to to discuss these these ideas and 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 the, you know even even just the characters and and the the topics that crop up it's it's stuff that like even even things that we we say and talk about in the podcast are things that I don't necessarily uh, think of on my own. Like you're like, I think having somebody to, to talk about the comic with um, it definitely brings out a lot more life to it. You know, it turns the gears. Yeah, it does. Know? It does. Yeah, for sure. All right. So next week in our, in our next episode, assuming that things go according to plan, I think Albert, I think we're we're almost ready to. We are to, about to venture into yeah. the DC top twenty-five. Yeah. But before we do, we have to entice you because we are enticing folks. Albert is actually more than enticing. He is seductive. Hello. Albert. Are you off busy seducing somebody right now? I am here. I'm just stunned silent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm searching for words. <laughs> but um yeah, next week uh you know, before we do our dive into the top 25 DC comics per our statisticians and our our wise men and shamans um we are going to do we're gonna you know tip our toe tip tip our toes into some honorable mentions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're gonna start off with uh is Hellblazer. it a surprise oh, oh. okay <laughs> <laughs> surprise <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. So next time uh, it'll be more of a surprise. <laughs> okay, so I, I guess we're we're talking about some Hellblazer comics next week. Yeah. Uh, if anyone wants to, you know, if any of you have questions about uh, Invincible or uh, comics in general, feel free to follow us on uh, on Instagram and message us. Uh, we're at Between the Gutters so, uh, at gmail.com on Gmail or. Yeah, just uh, between the gutters podcast at gmail.com, or you can uh, totally just follow us at between the gutters on our Instagram and, uh, you know, DM us and let us know. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Peace out. Peace out, guys.